Oh, I loved Leslie Jones plays Donald yes, Trump. That was one of the highlights of the show because there weren't that many highlights. She did a good job. Right. So welcome to the latest episode of Sanity Check, where we try to stay informed and sane in Trump's America. We are recording tonight on Thursday, February 16th, no doubt right before something totally crazy will happen. I'm joined this evening by Michael, Andrew, and Tom. I'm Ben. I'm back from the flu. Today is day 28 of the resistance. If you like what we're doing, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or at our website at sanitycheckpod.com. So, boy, I feel like a whole lot has happened uh, since our last conversation. I would say that. I can't believe it's only, it's been eight days, and the amount of stuff that's happened feels like months worth. Months, yeah. Um, so, obviously, we're going to spend most of our time talking about the events of just the last couple of days, you know, particularly the the story uh, coming back up about Trump and, and connections to Russia, um, as well as today's incredible shit show of a press conference. But let's quickly, very quickly catch up on some other important stuff that happened since we last talked. Uh, right after we recorded last time, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, ruled to uphold the Washington State Federal District Court decision to institute temporary restraining order against Trump's Muslim ban executive order. Uh, that was a three-judge panel uh, appointed by Jimmy Carter, W, and Obama, and they voted 3 nothing. They didn't really rule on the constitutionality of a Muslim ban. They, they did focus. They spent a lot of the ruling chastising the White House for doing such sloppy work on something that was so important. Uh, they did also cite, which I thought was great moving forward, uh, statements from Trump himself and Rudy Giuliani in particular um, during the campaign and right before the rollout where they talked about Muslim bans. Um, but they did they did allow that as, as part of the record, um, which, which I thought was a big deal because much of the case against the executive order is about the intent. And so uh, it's hard to establish intent without allowing that stuff. Since then, a Virginia court has concurred, and it actually went further and added a preliminary injunction, which is sort of the next level up from a temporary restraining order. Um, and after this decision went down, um, our, our our new president replied, all in caps, see you in court, which I thought was a really... Um, was that response. was that your Trump? Was that that's your Trump voice? No, it was more like an Incredible Hulk kind of, just angry, angry Trump. Uh, but the White House today actually decided and announced that they were going to rescind the order and issue a new one next week. Well, this to me though, it's a temporary victory, potentially temporary, because as you pointed out, they only they didn't rule on the merits of whether it was constitutional. They only were ruling about whether to overturn the temporary stay. It would be easy, I think, for them to write an executive order that would that would be found to be constitutional and still have like 90 or 95 percent of the effect of the one that they tried. Yeah, and clearly this is something that, while we happen to find distasteful, like is completely within the powers of the government to do, as long as they don't do an incredibly shitty job of it. Well, I think that's on... a really interesting question, to <laughs> yeah. what extent they have the... I think they uh, could accomplish a lot of it with no difficulty. There are right. some I things, guess, like... I guess what I mean is not to say that a Muslim ban is within their power, because certainly not. that's a different that. thing. But But for them to say, like we recognize an actual threat and we are going to restrict border access in an orderly fashion in order to protect ourselves or whatever. That's something that they have the authority to do and, and probably should have the authority to do and probably should not be discriminating against people. Well, discriminating, I don't think is allowed. You know, constitutionally. I mean, the CBP, the Customs and Border Patrol, ha they do have a lot of leeway to... Uh, have conversations with people, interrogate people, go through people's belongings. Um, that's all within their purview. I think this is what worries me is they did such a terrible job that the court had to say, you know, this is ridiculous, you guys can't do this. But if they did a slightly better job, 
you know, if like if they used proper legal terminology and had some lawyers look at it, and if they actually consulted with DHS and stuff before they just dropped it, I'm concerned that they could pretty much do all the same outcomes that they're looking for if they just put a little more effort in up front. And they, you know, they could not say let's ban all Muslims, but it is the president has a lot of authority in this area. I think you're probably right. Um, I think the, it hurts them that they did this first. Absolutely. And, and that's why they're not taking it to the Supreme Court, because having the Supreme Court rule against it... Or oh, they would get completely... There's no way they would to win. even look at it, which they might have done, uh, would have hurt even more. And it it establishes that that there may be motivations there that may not be present in a more narrowly written executive order that is to come. And so I agree I th- with that. I think it will be helpful. There's another perspective that would say they do something crazy, like really crazy like this, people respond, mm. and then they do something that is, that is totally reprehensible, but not quite as crazy as the last thing. So then people don't respond as much, and then we get this this ban whereas if they tried the middle ground maybe people would fight harder that's sort of the overton window analysis where they do something so outrageous that what would previously have appeared to be really outrageous now appears like the reasonable compromise that lines up perfectly with what i'm afraid of that they'll learn well i think that the thing they didn't really count on was the magnitude of the response that came to it um they they really created a, a large mobilized uh, reactionary group in the the women's march and all of the 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 marches that uh, came following the travel ban. Well, I think well, the I think the question is is like you could use an analogy of like an immune system. Have, by doing this early attack, have they created a stronger? response you know now people are mobilized now people know how to fight back or have they sort of um had us waste our strong response and now they can get get by a slightly weaker version so is it like a vaccine or is it like the first wave of a sickness i am loath to give them too much credit for a good strategy i don't think they i don't think this is a strategy i think they really don't do i think this is an authentically this is the job they're capable of doing, is yeah, this terrible I mean, job. I agree with Mike on that. I, I think that, I mean, it, which is not to say that they couldn't turn it to their advantage, but I think that it, it, it's part of the pattern that we've seen where Trump is really surprised that it isn't like business as usual, where he can just bully people and say what he wants to do and have it happen, that as president, there are are checks and balances, even if there aren't as many at the moment as we would like, uh, and that not everyone is just going to sign off on what he says, and he can't bully judges into ruling the way he wants, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think he was legitimately surprised by that. I don't I, think, I, I suspect anyway that he didn't think there was going to be a problem with the executive order. I, I also sort of think that, but wasn't this a a, a distinctly mentioned uh, blitz strategy from Sessions? And uh, and Miller. Well, they wanted to hit the ground running and deliver on a lot of campaign promises as quickly as possible. But I don't think that they thought they were going to fail doing that. Oh, I, I don't think so either. But I think it was a a distinct shock and awe attempt. Oh, definitely. I agree with that. But it's that like that was the strategy. But then they didn't put the work in to execute it well. And (laughs) so what they ended up doing was dumping a bunch, like, so they unloaded a lot of bills in a short period, a lot of executive orders, excuse me, in a short period of time, but they were poorly put together and difficult to enact. And then they got into trouble with the courts and, you know, it shouldn't have been a surprise to them that the ACLU was watching. So, you know, yeah, I think they did have this vision of unloading all these EOs on the, country and changing everything overnight but they didn't put in any of the labor that would have supported that effort and i think that's the theme for them they they don't put in work they don't work none of them work they have these visions and they say these things but they don't put in any effort 
well, and when weird. they try, the people that they need to do that work don't agree with them and uh, call them out or don't do it. And let's be fair. If we take the president at his word in today's press conference, he watches upwards of six hours of cable news every day. In that, a that's a lot of work. Yeah, in a, in a in a sexy bathrobe that I'm sure. I don't know about that's that's an alternative fact that one of that. <laughs> do do sure you uh, covers his body appropriately? Do you guys watch last week tonight? Because uh, yes, they had a I have not seen the latest episode. Great section on Trump watching too much TV and getting getting his sense of the country from Fox, basically. He has said that he gets his new he he, like, he doesn't need the presidential daily brief because he watches the shows. Well, I mean, and you can see f- from his tweets that they are often direct reactions to partic- usually graphics that get put up on CNN or Fox. Um, and he'll he'll literally repeat them verbatim in a tweet about 10 minutes later. Yeah, you know, I'm starting to think he might not be a very good president. Um, I feel like I feel like we're <laughs> wandering a little bit. Um, yeah, th- that's probably true. So since we have a lot of ground to cover, let's move on. So the the big story this week has been the Trump administration and its connection with Russia. So it started with Michael Flynn, the now former NSA, uh, with the Washington Post reporting that nine officials, not just one, but nine officials were able to confirm that there were intercepts from the NSA, uh, National Security Agency, not advisor, intercepts of calls between Flynn and the Russian ambassador on the day that the Obama administration announced sanctions um, during the transition, and that these intercepts showed that Flynn did indeed discuss the sanctions with the Russian ambassador, which he had denied doing a number of times, and Mike Pence had gone on TV denying. It then came out not long after that that the Department of Justice during the transition uh, specifically Sally Yates, the acting attorney general who was later fired for, for not enforcing the executive order on the Muslim ban, on January 26th had warned the White House um, that Flynn had lied about his conversations um, and had specifically lied to the vice president who had gone on TV and was therefore potentially susceptible to blackmail. The Russians know that he talked about sanctions because they were the ones on the phone talking about that with him. And so he's vulnerable because he's lying about what they talked about, and they know that he's lying. That's what makes him vulnerable to blackmail. I think you nailed it. I totally nailed it. 100%. <laughs> best best summary ever. It was big league. Uh, and in fact, we, ne- we now know that he wasn't just lying about it on TV. He uh, There's a report tonight from the Washington Post that he actually lied about it in an interview with the FBI, who was investigating among other things, his phone call. Which so, that's actually a, that could be a big problem for him. Yeah, really that's big. like a federal felony. So it's unclear whether or not they're going to pursue charges at this point, but the, the, presumably they could. Um, so then the New York Times reported that the Trump campaign had had continual contact with Russian intelligence and other members of the Russian government during the entire campaign, which is really a pretty explosive allegation. Um, Although, I mean, there's like a little to be fair here, which is so far we don't know whether they were talking about anything untoward. No. But, I mean, there are only so many things that a presidential campaign could be discussing with the foreign power that is going out of its way to illegally attempt to help it win an election. I mean, that Trump is asking explicitly to hack his opponent's emails in a news conference. No, I mean, it's, it's not a great look. I I don't think that they were asking for, you know, recommendations about what to order at the Russian tea room, but I mean, there there were a lot of conversations here. So uh, there's a lot of smoke to the point where it seems difficult to believe that there's not some fire uh, as well. Uh, I mean, the there was CNN- that great non-denial denial from Manafort. Did you see this? Where he said, you know, these people don't wear badges to, that say that they're Russian intelligence. And he's like, I did not knowingly speak to anyone from Russian intelligence. Wink, wink, wink. Um, CNN reports that the FBI and the rest of the intelligence community has actually also corroborated 
a number of portions of that now infamous dossier that was put together by the former MI6 agent Christopher. So Steele. not the not the one thing. No, not they the have thing. yeah, not the fun parts. They have not the the yellow journalism has not been confirmed. <laughs> um, and maybe some of the other particularly salacious parts have not been confirmed as well. But aspects of it have been confirmed, and of course, if some of it is true, that does lend credence to the idea that other portions of it may be true as well. To me, uh, the big news here, though, is that is how Flynn had to quit. Like, this scandal, or whatever we're calling it, has been growing or, or developing or existing for a long time, but this is the first time some something's actually happened. You know, Flynn resigned because of this. Well, and that whole timeline is fascinating. Yes. So, his conversation happened back during the transition, Mike Pence went on TV on like January 15th or January 16th, something like that, and said, no, 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 Mike Flynn did not talk about the, uh, the sanctions. He would never do that. They were notified on January 26th by the Department of Justice that that was not true. The White House counsel apparently briefed President Trump. Yeah, Trump on, was informed, but when you said the they were informed, Pence was not informed. Right. So... The reporting is that it took another 11 or 12 days for Pence to find out. And he actually found out by reading about it in the Washington Post. To be fair, I wouldn't nice. want to tell him either if I were Trump. No. No. I mean, if you're Pence, you're, you're like, so Trump is more loyal to his lying national security advisor than to his vice president, who is made to look like... Uh, a total asshole on TV because of him? I mean, that's well, the interview I'm looking for. I want to see the Pence interview. Although, to be fair, if you're Pence, what are you doing trusting Trump for anything? Like You should, you should be I'm knowing totally full sure. well. Pence does not trust Trump. Oh, I, I, right. Right, but this is, this is just particularly egregious. <laughs> for uh, sure. Pence is really interesting because I'm, I'm pretty sure that he identified this as like a long shot possibility for him to become vice president and he was like okay i see what i would need to do to do this and then he's doing it well and he was I also not going to be reelected as governor no Indiana. no but like for him he could end up i mean he has a lot of career <laughs> advancement possibilities ahead of him yeah it worked out pretty well for him well except he has to work with trump it's yeah he true. still has to hang out with those guys so, i mean there's a lot of speculation going on about the what's going on inside the White House and who really forced Flynn out. You know, clearly Trump, at least, knew about this for quite some time before he asked for Flynn's resignation. Trump and, is still, Trump to this right. day is like, Flynn is a great man who is doing a great job and what's happened to him is so unjust. And he's like, I didn't, like, dude, you fired him. Trump was like, I didn't, I didn't tell him to talk about the sanctions, but I should have. But if I had known he wasn't, I would have... Yeah, that, none of it makes any sense. To, to be clear, talking about the sanctions was probably illegal. Depends what you're saying about them. You could say things like, sanctions are a form of economic international diplomacy. If there was any quid pro quo about the sanctions... Which often, there obviously was. That was probably illegal. Well, no, because even if it wasn't illegal, it's definitely wrong because they weren't the administration. Obama was still president. Yes. And, it, you know, that's – it's one of our tradition of all the – you know, Trump is like a destroyer of norms and traditions. And here's another one where if you win the election, you don't start acting like the president until you're president and you let the administration finish what they're doing with respect. And you swear and in before you actually start doing stuff. And that is also why we have the the Logan Act, even if it's never actually been used. So wait, do we know why? Like, who got who made him resign? Because this is a this group has had a long history of just ignoring things. There's a lot of speculation. So what they're saying, the White House has given two different stories themselves. First, they said that Flynn offered up the the resignation because he felt that it was an untenable situation. Then the next day. Sean Spicer, um, doing his best Melissa McCarthy impersonation, said that Trump asked for his resignation because he had lost trust in him because he had lied to the vice president. So that, which of course begs the question: Why did it take him, you know, two weeks to lose trust in him? 
Uh, and w is it a coincidence that it happened, you know, right after it was revealed by the Washington Post? It's possible that no one ever lied to Pence, but Pence just assumed. I'm not sure how good I think the communication is between Trump and Pence, like in general. It wouldn't surprise me if they had never talked about it, and Pence just answered the question in a way that seemed reasonable to him. And it turned out that he was lying because they were actually acting like they were doing crazy stuff. That's entirely possible. But, but there has been speculation that Pence is really the person who was behind the resignation. That's um, very believable. If I were yeah. Pence, I'd be like, yo, you got to get rid of this guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because if, if it's not Flynn, that means Pence lied. Right. So I, I think that uh, it seems like the most likely explanation anyway. But Trump yeah. would never allow a story to be, be that he wasn't in charge of something. Right. I mean, it was really laughable in that first press conference that Spicer had after Flynn's resignation, where he said, you know, you know, Trump found out on January 26th, and he instinctively knew that Flynn had done nothing criminally wrong, and that was borne out by our investigation. Period. Period. I mean, it was all about the cult of Trump. All the people who work for him are trying to do everything they can not to let him get mad at them and get rid of them. So that's why they go on TV and act all insane. It it does certainly appear that when they're on TV, that they are speaking with the idea that he is their audience. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Except for Pence, maybe, who's uh, like... Major motivation might be to undercut the president and get him hey, out of there. when was the last time you saw Pence on TV? That's a good point. It's been a while. That's what I'm saying. I want to see that interview. He's he where he's at. Where has he been? He hasn't been around. But Pence had a, he had a lot of leverage in this situation uh, because Pence is he's the only person in the White House Trump can't fire. Yeah, right? Pence is an elected official. Well, by the... And if Pence wants to, I mean, Pence right now, I keep thinking this. Why doesn't he just call Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell right now and say, Let's aren't you guys 20, tired of this? Amendment. Why don't we just pass all the laws you want to and we don't have to do all this? Well, right. So Pence has a lot to gain by Trump failing. And Trump knows that, I think. Trump and does Trump, have this yeah. sort of instinctive Well, he's a survivor. Instinct, yeah. He's a survivor. And as I say, you know, Trump, he's the only person Trump can't fire. So... If Pence really put the hammer down on getting rid of Flynn, I think that he almost certainly could have gotten it done. And uh, I don't think it's an accident that we haven't seen him going on the Sunday shows and being a really strong advocate for the president over the last week or so, because he's probably really pissed off. Well, you know, I know we're not supposed to talk about Pence too much, um, but it occurs to me just now that he actually has a lot of leverage that almost nobody else has in the form of Trump's base. One of the things that is sort of theorized as keeping Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell in line is that if they go against Trump, he can turn his 30% of the country who are fanatic devotees on them. He can primary them, yep. he can make their lives miserable. But Pence has very high credibility with the evangelicals, and also he was on the ticket. And so he he's one of... I'm not sure I can think of anyone else who could try to usurp those people, right? He could say, look, I am a true believer in what you, what you believe in, and you know me, and I was on the campaign trail, and I think we're not accomplishing it right now, and so let's make a change, you know? And so he's actually a huge threat now that I think about it. No, he's definitely in the best position to inherit that base. Uh, I, would, I would certainly agree with that. That base. So... Oh, wait, I got a better one. Yeah. He's, he could be all about that base. He could be. All Trump's base are belong to him. So um, naturally, there is a, a fairly strong desire on the left and among people who are not insane to investigate the uh, situation and in particular the ties between the Trump campaign and Russian intelligence agencies. There's very so, little argument not to do that. Right, because it, it it really seems like that's not and something yet. that's supposed to happen. So as and yet, the House GOP has shown absolutely no desire to investigate. In fact, they want to investigate the leaks that made it to the newspapers, because the they leaks, are just, as we learned, horrified. They're very horrified. Real. The leaks are real, yeah. But but the news is fake. Um, they're horrified that anyone would leak 
any sensitive information that could possibly damage a politician. The hypocrisy level is getting pretty amazing, even for them. And I say that knowing about the House GOP and the Senate, you know, it's right. it's really, I'm impressed, like with Jason Chaffetz ability to pretend that the worst part of this is the is that someone leaked this information yeah i mean it's uh interestingly the the senate has shown a little bit more appetite to investigate i I guess they have yeah those people have to win elections statewide well let's not say that it's all the senate i mean rand paul is very against any investigating because do we want this rand paul quote sure let's let's throw it in there here's this is rand paul on investigating uh Donald Trump's ties with Russia. I just don't think it's useful to be doing investigation after investigation, particularly of your own party. We'll never even get started with doing the things we need to do, like repealing Obamacare. If we're spending our whole time having Republicans investigate Republicans, I think it makes no sense. It's actually very honest of him. It's 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 like too honest. I'm sure his comms people were like, stop, what are you doing? Uh, I mean, it's really shameless. I mean, it speaks very clearly to the the loyalty to party that that is, I'm sure, on both sides, but like extremely visible and and apparent on the on the Republican I'm side. I'm not prepared to let you get away with that. No, not both sides. Um, okay, the de- Republicans Democrats have been fanatically babies. devoted to themselves above the country for decades in a way that Democrats completely have not been. <laughs> Democrats are really the opposite. It's like to a fault. <laughs> Democrats yeah. are, are like, oh, let's work together, you know. Well, we we've wandered far uh, far afield from Flynn and Russia. <laughs> uh, we have, so we, we we should get back to that. Um, all right. So one thing that became very clear in this whole Flynn saga is that we were never going to find out about any of this stuff if the media didn't report on it. Uh, because clearly Trump wasn't going to tell anyone, including the vice president, apparently. Well, and if the media didn't report on it, and therefore if someone didn't leak it to the media. Right. Uh, in particular, there's this guy, John Schindler, who's been writing in, of all places, the New York Observer, which is ironic. But he's been talking about how the intelligence community has essentially gone to war with Trump. Um, so it would it would appear that they are largely the source of these leaks. Uh in fact, uh, last night, the Wall Street Journal reported that the intelligence community has actually been withholding particularly sensitive intelligence, particularly about methods and sources of uh, intelligence from the Trump administration. Uh, and the Times added to that that the Obama administration actually held back particularly sensitive information about Russia specifically from the Trump administration and so I mean I don't know what you guys think, but it seems to me that this is kind of an untenable situation. I mean, if you have you have the intelligence community of the United States who is gathering and analyzing all the most sensitive and secure information in the world, and you have the president who theoretically has to deal with crises and make important decisions, and they're not giving him the information. I mean, where where does that leave us? You know, particularly if an actual crisis develops. Well, we're. I mean, it certainly does seem untenable, and it actually goes back to our last conversation. That um, they don't trust him because they think that he has ties to Russia. It needs to kind of come. Someone has to do an actual evaluation of whether or not he has ties to Russia. You would think. You would think that this would be important information both for them to figure out and for the public to know about. I mean, there's sort of two ways to look at it, right? There's there's like hero leakers are trying to save the country, and then there's your more slate-pitchy, like, if the intelligence agencies aren't accountable to the president, they're not accountable to anybody. And at that point, you have them usurping the machinery of the state and you're getting into sort of soft coup, deep state territory. Definitely, and it's that I think that's a very legitimate concern. I mean, I would add that it is certainly not unusual for intelligence agencies to be very protective of their methods, even even from the executive branch. But if there's something he should know that they don't tell him, 
because they're afraid he'll tell Putin about it, that's not good. Well, it's not a good precedent to set. No, I mean, it's not good in any way. Like, it, no, it's cool. terrible. Basically, I think this, for me, this goes back to the fact that as soon as he became president, we were in a catastrophe, and it's for reasons like this. The system isn't designed to work with somebody who the CIA thinks with some evidence is compromised by Russia, for example. Well, and apparently the Obama administration was uh, in sufficient agreement with the intelligence community that they withheld information as well. I mean, Also, it, there were those couple of Russian agents who got killed right after the inauguration. I don't know if you remember that, or our agents in Russia. Yes. Yeah, I saw who that. Who specifically had been involved in alerting the CIA about the Russian cyber hacker. So who knows, right? I mean... I obviously don't know why that might have happened, but it begins to paint a pretty disturbing picture. Extremely disturbing. I mean, not as disturbing as having a private email server, but pretty disturbing. I mean, a private email server could destroy the world. I, I know, I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, you, we definitely wouldn't want to have, for instance, White House staffers uh, only communicating with each other using secure encrypted messaging acts which violate the Presidential Records Act, which is something that's going on in the Trump White House, apparently. Yeah, I mean, so I'm trying to figure out how to relate my, like, large-scale catastrophe feelings to what we're specifically talking about. You know, people get pardoned for crimes. Sometimes you can commit a crime and you can get pardoned because the president can decide you did the right thing in the context of what you were doing. And that's weird, because that's sort of an exception to how things work. And I think of this the same way, where it's like, sure, if the CIA's heart is pure, and they are saving the Republic by what they're doing, and they're right, and they're doing it for honorable reasons, maybe in this case, it's defensible. But it's really, really bad to get to the point where the intelligence agencies need to go rogue from the person who is in, you know, theoretically in charge of them in order to do their job of, as you pointed out, they protect and defend the Constitution, not the president. And of course, the intelligence community has information that we don't have, so we don't we don't know exactly where they're coming from, but yes, as Mike. Yeah, but they also to, have vendettas. I mean, you were pointing out earlier, you know, it, like if they are all irritated because he called them mean names, they shouldn't be. That's not sufficient, that not and reason. we can't know what their motivations are because we don't know the information. Which Tom, as you pointed out, we need the investigation. I think that I think going to your concern about like what is the what is the massive failure here of having this person in the White House, and I keep I keep looking to. I mean, the fact that the Senate isn't doing their their job, you know, like if three branches are supposed to check each other, they, they have a responsibility to check the president in these kinds of things. And that really currently, based on our initial of our initial conversation, it's sort of only within the judiciary do we sort of have any hope of somebody trying to maintain the rule of law. Yeah, and, and Congress is really the one you would need Congress has to be a powerful check on the president. I mean, they don't have to do anything, and they're not doing it, but... That that is how the Constitution was designed. I don't think the judiciary on its own can get us out of this one. Uh, But, you know, as has been noted, intelligence officers take the same oath that the president does. They, They swear to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. So, I apparently, they consider Trump to be a domestic enemy, Oh, at least some of them do. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, you're saying this like this is a, an explanation, and I guess it is, but it, the fundamental logic of what you're saying is the same as the fundamental logic of a civil war, right? Oh, absolutely. This is completely... Or, uh, yeah, or a military Almost too. completely unprecedented, and... Yeah, I mean, the the closest historical analogy, again, is Watergate. So you there you had Deep Throat, who was Mark Felt, who was... Spoilers, the, geez. Sorry, uh, who was the deputy director of the FBI, and he was the one who was leaking all of the information to the Washington Post, which completely took down President Nixon. He certainly uh, felt that it was the that it was the right thing to do. So I, I, I think that's clearly the the closest analogy to what's going on. Um, but this is operating on seemingly a much larger scale. 
I kind of disagree with you. I'm not sure how similar the two situations are. There seems to be a lot more panic in this situation. Well, I would say that it's because in Watergate you had Nixon way overreaching and totally doing illegal things and stuff that was very much impeachable offenses and so on, but there was never any indication that he was beholden to a foreign power in any way. Um, and here we have a situation where not only do people believe that the president may be doing things that are not on the up and up, but they may they believe that he might actually be in the pocket of uh, one of our you know largest geopolitical enemies. Now and I feel that, like we're totally agreeing with each other because that, that's like a pretty big difference. Well, it's a huge difference, and it's much more serious. So I mean that 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 is the argument for. W- why it could be considered to be okay what the intelligence community is doing as opposed to a coup. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like we're we're clearly outside how things are supposed to operate. So we're now into, like, last-ditch defenses, right, where people are trying to improvise the best they can. You mean we're setting up a war room in Mar-a-Lago where, where Trump and... The Prime Minister the of prim- Japan. It was the Prime Minister Shinzo, of Japan. President Shinzo, per Donald Trump's Twitter account. <laughs> because he, he oh did not God. realize which was his first and which was his last name. At any rate, they had a good time looking at all kinds of top-secret documents in a publicly available space. Sean Spicer said that they weren't looking at top-secret documents, and he's, he's always straight with us. He's been correct about everything that he has said. Period. Um, the, the thing that was really shocking to me was that the, the picture of the aides standing yes. around with their their phones with the flashlights, which of course means that their phone cameras pointing at it too, because those things are really easily hackable. Super hackable, especially if you're in a public dining room at a club that everyone knows the president's going to be at. I mean, I'm assuming that place is teeming with foreign agents. You would think. Well, it's just bizarre that we're conducting like incredibly secure crisis management sitting at the table i wouldn't i don't think it's that secure in that case right. my and favorite was the selfie the guy took with the nuclear football yeah. aid being like this guy's this, look at this this is the nuclear football this guy's and, awesome look, and this is his name and, yeah, and here's what know, he looks like, like on facebook for everybody i mean it doesn't seem like a good idea I at mean, least make the russians work for it i I'm not sure that anything that happened at Mar-a-Lago was illegal, but I think that's mostly because no one ever conceived that a president would be so irresponsible as to do something like that. So there was never any law written specifically about well, this a situation like I mean, this goes back to what we're talking about, right? It's like this system was not designed to withstand someone who it doesn't care, doesn't understand how it works, doesn't care how it works, and doesn't want it to continue working, being in charge of it. Almost nothing the president does is is illegal in the in the area of you know deciding how to handle national security. It's just that it's terrible. You know the assumption was that he had to win an election, and so he couldn't act in these really stupid ways because surely no one would ever vote for someone like that. That's the big check on who the president is: is the voters, and they totally blew it. Oh well, we've got um, we have one big topic that we haven't hit, which is. Today's complete clusterfuck of a press oh, conference. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> no that well, that, that press conference was pretty. Remarkable. I, mean, I just don't think that we can save that for next week. It's just no, no, we got to do that now. Next week, we might not even be here. Right. I mean, there could be a nuclear holocaust between. Oh, I wasn't going to say it so explicitly. Well, the president did during the press conference. Um, so today, Donald Trump decided, apparently, he just showed up to work this morning and announced to his staff that he wanted to hold a press conference. And the uh, excuse for this was to introduce the new nominee for Secretary of Labor, Alex Acosta, who replaced Andrew Puzder. Um, he spent about seven seconds discussing that and then launched into an hour and a half rant about mostly his media coverage interspersed with extremely easily disprovable lies. I can give you the nuclear holocaust one. So this is from Trump's press conference. If Russia and the United States actually got together and got along, and don't forget, we're a very powerful nuclear country, and so are they. There's no upside. We're a very powerful nuclear country, and so are they. 
I have been briefed, and I can tell you one thing about a briefing that we're allowed to say, because anybody that ever read the most basic book can say it. Nuclear Holocaust would be like no other. So there you go. <laughs> this is the man with wow. sole authority over our nuclear weapons. So he went really insane about the leaks. He's really upset about the leaks. The um, leaks are real. Right. He he said, and I quote, there are real leaks, but fake news. So the question was, um, this is the question to Trump. I just want you to clarify this very important point. Can you say definitively that nobody on your campaign had any contacts with the Russians during the campaign? And on the leaks, is it fake news or are these real leaks? And Trump replies, well, the leaks are real. You're the one that wrote about them and reported them. I mean, the leaks are real. You know what they said. You saw it. And the leaks are absolutely real. The news is fake because so much of the news is fake. So one thing that I felt it was very important to do, and I hope we can correct it, because there's nobody I have more respect for. Well, maybe a little bit, but the reporters, good reporters. Well, there you go. I mean, that really clears it up, doesn't it? (laughs) It, 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 It's difficult to parse that statement. (laughs) Difficult. To say the least. Is he admitting that the leaks are accurate and saying that he doesn't like the analysis of them? Or is You're he not listening. That both He's saying the leaks the are real, but the news is fake. <laughs> yeah. And if and the news is fake because so much of the news is fake. But he has the most respect. The good reporters. Well, not the most respect. And let's be clear, that does not include CNN because he, he agreed that they are not fake news. They are actually very fake news. Um, he go. I, I. There is a. So he continued from what I just gave you. It's very important to me, and especially in this position, it's very important. I don't mind bad stories. I can handle a bad story better than anybody, as long as it's true. And you know, over a course of time, I'll make mistakes, and you'll write badly, and I'm okay with that. But I'm not okay when it is fake. I mean, I watch CNN. It's so much anger and hatred, and just the hatred. It's because it's very fake news. If that doesn't clear it up, I don't know what you're looking for. I mean, the, the whole—I mean, he was just completely unhinged. Uh, deranged. This entire... He was uh, wild and 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 nuts. It was not the sort of performance where you watched it and you were like, "Boy, I'm really glad that this person is the president." He was, was having not... a great time, though. I did notice that. I think this is what he likes to do. Well, it was interesting because at the very beginning, he was reading from a script, and he—he he looked like death. He looked pasty, and his, and then he started to just, you know, go into campaign mode and go off on the media, and he just perked up like, you know, it was like catnip or something. Um, but he, the whole thing was totally deranged. I mean, there were there were a few kind of bullet points that I think we might want to hit on. He repeatedly said that Michael Flynn did nothing wrong, despite the fact that he fired him. Um, he said that. He did not know that Michael Flynn had talked about the sanctions, but if he had known that was even a possibility, he would have ordered him to do it. He declared that he had gotten 306 electoral votes. That is not true. He got 304. That's not even the least true part of what he said. He he then declared that he had gotten the, the greatest and largest electoral college landslide since Ronald Reagan. Um, that is really not true. And, uh, both of President Obama's uh, victories were, were much larger than his in terms of electoral votes, as was George H.W. Bush's 1988 uh, one. So then a uh, heroic reporter literally asked him why he was talking about fake news when he was saying these sorts of things um, to people's faces. And uh, and he said oh, three times, he said, that was the information given to me. I've got the transcript here. The question is, why should Americans trust you? And Trump says, well, I don't know. I was given that information. I was given, I actually, I've seen that information around. But it was a very substantial victory. Do you agree with that? Okay, thank you. <laughs> he, he also said when asked why he was upset about these leaks, but he was okay with WikiLeaks, he more or less said that WikiLeaks were okay because they, didn't, they don't reveal any classified documents. Which, of course, in and of itself is laughable since WikiLeaks was started in order to leak classified documents. Trump says, Well, I had nothing to do with it. I have nothing to do with Russia. I told you, I have no deals there. I have no anything. 
Now, when WikiLeaks, which I had nothing to do with, comes out and happens to give... They're not giving classified information. They're giving stuff what was said at an office about Hillary cheating on the debates. Which, by the way, nobody mentions. Nobody mentions that Hillary received the questions to the debates. Can you imagine? Seriously, can you imagine if I received the questions? It would be the electric chair. Okay, he should be put in the electric. You would even call for the reinstitution of the death penalty. Okay, maybe not you, John. <laughs> what? I mean, all, why why would anyone still be talking about Hillary Clinton and the debates? He need the, I know why that is cuz he's terrible when he doesn't have an opponent. Well, this is why this weekend he's actually holding a 2020 campaign event. Yes, he is. That, that is actually true. I think that's probably a record for earliest in his, the first term of, for someone to hold a re-election campaign. Oh, it, cer- it certainly is. And also technically, if you're campaigning, it means that he has to reimburse the uh, federal government for at least part of the travel costs. So, we're using so we'll Air have Force the One famous and and so financial uh, rectitude of the Trump campaign organization yeah taking care of that well that's a relief at least he listed cable news shows in order of how nice they are to him Um, (laughs) at at one point he ranted and raved and said and i quote i'm not ranting and raving at you you're just very dishonest people Uh, he then also said about the media story after story is bad i won i won i mean it, it i think it has become evident uh, I think, as I alluded to earlier, that he really felt that because he won, he should simply be allowed to do anything he wanted to do. I'm sure he always, in his whole life, has thought he should be allowed to do whatever he wants to do. And this is the first time anyone else has cared enough to be like, no, you can't do that. Yeah. There are several people who badmouth him, but he sort of skated by all through these situations. Well, he sues them, and then he settles in court, and there are non-disclosure agreements. He loves the non-disclosure agreements. I think someone, some analysis I read was talking about this might be the first time he's worked with a lot of people that he can't make sign non-disclosure agreements. Well, there are some reports that he has threatened to sue the CIA. (laughs) Good luck. Yeah, that would be... He should do that. There was another analysis I was reading that was, you know, don't get too excited for, like the military and intelligence institutions to get rid of Trump because they're not particularly liberal either. No, I mean, that's true. I, I don't think that they, there's any indication that, you know, they want to participate in some sort of coup, though. Um, and either way, if they if they did get rid of Trump, they'd still just be getting Pence. It's, it's not like they would be getting rid of Trump and putting in some Democrat. But so I'm interested, like, I feel like I'm wandering away from the this press conference, but I mean, I really found it to be incredibly disturbing that he would do this. Clearly, a goal of his was to delegitimize the media. This is not—it's not like it's the first time he's been doing it, but he did it for an hour and a half straight, and that's in- incredibly dangerous. I mean, we've seen now that that the media is in many ways our strongest bulwark against Trump. Um, I, I, I mean, for as terrible a job as they did during the election, you know, you, you, I would say that in particular the Washington Post and, and to a lesser degree the Times have have done some pretty strong investigative reporting. Um, There's since. layers to this, though. I mean, I th- I, he has a symbiotic relationship with the media, Financially speaking, he's been fantastic for a huge amount of media companies. You know, he's that been a true. great thing for the Post, for the Times. CNN gets really good ratings now. So, I mean, I, it's strange. I, I don't know that he actually wants to destroy the media. I think he likes... No, he wants them to love him. I think that's true. I I think he he recognizes that they need him. Like, they they have a symbiotic relationship. He, he, he thinks that it would be great if they loved him and he would go on all the time and still he would would still get their ratings up. He goes on all the time now. I mean, he just did a 76-minute performance for them that got, I'm sure, that got all those channels huge ratings. Right, and it also had pretty much every media member with a Twitter account completely furious that he was torching their profession in a horrible... I mean, Chuck Todd tweeted out... Here, I'll, I'll pull it up. This is not a laughing matter. I'm sorry. Delegitimizing the press is un-American. 
And that's about the strongest thing Chuck Todd has ever said to anyone. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not sure where I fall on it. I I think it's more complicated than just that he's trying to delegitimize them. I was thinking, though, maybe a good time to switch over to um, that that segment we love to do. How are you staying sane? Um, I feel like reading the news has been pretty good for me recently. Um, there's been obviously a lot going on, um, but we're hearing a lot, and there's actually response. Um, Michael Flynn, for instance, uh, actually fell victim to some consequences of actions, and uh, and that's actually quite heartening in what should be expected, but actually is surprising and excellent. Um, as did Labor Secretary nominee Andrew Puzder. As as did Puzder. Um, so so that's been good. I've also been um, in touch a bit with the the March for Science people, um, which has been interesting and fun to sort of think about how that's building up um, and that that's going to be a march um, later on in the year uh, in favor, but basically in favor of facts. They're real. Uh, isn't that great? Um, but so that's, that's what I've been doing. I mean, I've, uh, as I think in the past, I think I've tried to keep my head down a little bit. I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, come back to me. <laughs> um, I'm excited that Puzder's nomination went down. That's helping. Although I'm, there's an asterisk there, which is that he was not, he didn't go down because of any policy reason, but because the tape emerged of his ex-wife describing the way he was domestically abusive towards her. And, you know, of course it's good that he, he should, it's disgraceful that he was ever nominated in the first place, but you know, it's not that heartening because they're just going to find some, well, they found, they already found some, you know, cookie cutter conservative to go in and destroy unions and not have a sketchy past. So, I mean, that's, that's sort of a mixed bag. Michael Flynn is gone. I'm actually, I view that as potentially really bad because it could allow Bannon to consolidate, you know, if they can't find somebody else to take the job, we're sitting there with an NSC that has only political hacks on it. So, I mean, Sure, it's. I think it is a good thing that political gravity still exists, and you can't just do do wrong with impunity. I think that's a good thing. But specifically right now, I'm not particularly heartened that we have... I keep thinking, if I were someone who wanted to attack the United States, I would do it right now, because you've got... There's, like, nobody minding the store. And right before we started recording, John Harward, who was the first choice to replace Michael Flynn, turned down the job specifically because... He wanted to clean house of the Bannon Flynn guys on the NSC and Trump. It's so good on him, but they're still all there because he turned the job down. So, but I'm trying to, you know, hey, um, it's going to be all right because something. Well, that's a good segue into me because I'm feeling like shit. Um, I I'm really not feeling good about um, a whole lot Um, for a lot of the same reasons. um, I feel like the 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 war, if you will, that's going on between the intelligence community and the president, while it may possibly be necessary, is incredibly dangerous, both in terms of precedent and if something happens. Um, I mean, the, the nightmare scenario for me right now is that something really terrible happens, that there's a terrorist attack or so on, and there's nobody minding the store, and I mean, Lord only knows what would happen I feel like the best case scenario is that it would allow Trump to consolidate power. Um, I think a lot of the way that I'm feeling was summed up in something that Andrew Sullivan wrote in New York Magazine. Um, Andrew Sullivan, not the patron saint of progressives, but uh, I think in this case he did uh, speak to how I'm feeling, so I'm just going to read one paragraph from that. Uh, He writes... One of the great achievements of free society and a stable democracy is that many people, for much of the time, need not think about politics at all. The president of a free country may dominate the news cycle many days, but he is not omnipresent. And because we live under the rule of law, we can afford to turn the news off at times. A free society means being free of those who rule over you, to do the things that you care about, your passions, your pastimes, your loves, to exult in that blessed space where politics doesn't intervene. 
In that sense, it seems to me we already live in a country with markedly less freedom than we did a month ago. It's less like living in a democracy than being a child trapped in a house where there is an abusive and unpredictable father who will brook no reason, respect no counter-argument, admit no error, and always, always up the ante until catastrophe inevitably strikes. Uh, and I thought that that put into words a lot of what I'm feeling. Um, I would take a little bit of issue with the idea that one shouldn't remain vigilant at, at all times, but um, clearly there was uh, something very comforting having President Obama in charge as compared to our current situation. Um, and uh, I, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop, uh, and I hope that it is something that is moving in the direction of investigations and uh, getting this nightmare to uh, towards a, a close. This is the this is the how we're this is the upbeat part of the show, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think that's the reason why why I got I get stuck because all the good stuff that happened this week, I actually think is kind of bad. You know, like nothing what should have happened or what was feeling good was the was all the pushback against his terrible executive orders. Um, you know, the the growing. Uh, sort of all the leaks about um, their Russia connections. And what needed to happen was someone in the judiciary to make a strong ruling about something being unconstitutional or or something big, you know, somebody starting a real investigation that was going to have teeth. And instead, they've been able to kind of make those things evaporate and nobody's taking any real action. And that they're just going to come back stronger or in some slightly more palatable way. I feel like that's um, sort of artificially created by the the punctuation of of when we record these shows. The the building up to an investigation is always going to take a long time, and we're just sort of in the middle of that long time. Um, well, that's true. I mean, you're it, for example, you know. We don't know when it's going to get to be when the, what the last straw will be for the House GOP. Yeah, but he certainly keeps piling them on. Yeah, I mean, you would have thought it would have happened already, but uh, not necessarily. These people are really, really horrible. But I did. I have a good. I have a real sanity one, which is that his his uh, approval rating just keeps falling th- through the through the floor, through the basement, through the mantle. I mean, he's he's doing terrible. He's, he's getting into Congress territory. No, he's actually unfortunately <laughs> not. People really hate Congress. Um, no, but he's he's doing far worse than any you know than Obama was, than W was, than H W, than Reagan. You know, all his predecessors at this stage in their in their presidencies, he's he's way way worse in the history of presidential polling. He's by far. So the I mean, that suggests that. People are paying attention, and they don't like what they see. Yeah. I do think it's going to be very interesting. Uh, We've got an upcoming special election in Georgia when uh, Tom Price is presumably confirmed to be Secretary of State. Didn't he get confirmed? He got confirmed. Was he already confirmed? So he was confirmed. So there's going to be a special election in Georgia um, for his congressional seat, which he won handily. Um, yeah, we should be. People should be pouring their resources and time and effort into that race. But Georgia Trump actually district. did not win that district that handily. I think he won it in single digits, which was a lot less than Tom Price did. And it'll be very interesting to see if his unpopularity has an effect. So it, it, that will be interesting, and we could have something to really feel good about if uh, if we take that seat back. What are we? What should we do to close? I feel like we bummed. Every, I'm super. I'm bummed out. Everyone else is bummed out. We bummed each other out. Do you have another press conference? Yeah, quote that would help, wouldn't us? it? Um, oh shit! I just realized the one that we have to read, which is the one where um, where the black reporter asks him. Oh yes, yes. Okay. So I'm gonna. This is a news story, so I'm gonna read this. Read it this way. Ryan asked Trump if he would include the Congressional Black Caucus in discussions about his agenda for addressing urban policy. Trump appeared briefly to be unaware of what the initials stood for, and so Ryan asked more pointedly. Am I going to include who, he asked? 
Are you going to include the Congressional Black Caucus? Ryan, who is black, asked. And the Congressional Hispanic Caucus as well as... Well, I would, Trump interrupted. Tell you what, do you want to set up the meeting? Do you want to set up the meeting? Are they friends of yours? Set up a meeting. (laughs) Ryan pointed out to the president that she is a journalist and that... (laughs) I can't really go on. That she is a journalist. And while she does know members of the Congressional Black Caucus, that's not her role. And now, just to be fair, it's not like one of the most racist things old white people do is assume that all black people know each other. Um, So thanks for listening. And again, if you like what you heard or if you just want to hear us panic some more, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or at our website, sanitycheckpod.com. And until next time, we will resist and we will persist.